good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Good night. Good night. Hello. Welcome <laughs> to Almost 30. I'm excited about this one. Oh, man. I just always look forward to having Ramit on. I look forward to having these like, not only money conversations, but I know Ramit's always going to be freaking honest. I know. That's my favorite. Um, <laughs> so welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. If you're new here, uh, my name's Krista. This is Lindsay. We've been doing this for about six years now, and we started during the transition from our 20s to our 30s, where we felt super lost and we felt like there's got to be more to life. And now Almost 30 is meant to help support you in your conscious evolution, whether that's conversations about money or conversations about sex and love or spirituality. We are here to be your guides and your friends along the way. Yeah, and I was thinking about six years ago and particularly thinking about money and that money mindset, like where the fuck was I? And it was... Mm -hmm. It was bleak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was <laughs> I have to say. Probably like $9,000 of debt then, I mm-hmm. think, after quitting my job, trying to pursue everything full-time. Yeah, I was just like in a constant loop of not knowing where my next check was going to come mm-hmm. from and then like having to obviously catch up and and pay the bills and pay things that I had put on my credit card. And it was, I just never felt like I could get above water. You know what I was just, I just realized is that was very expansive thing for me in money was actually serving. And when I served in Ohio, growing up in Ohio, I served from the time I was 14 at the uh, place in my neighborhood. And then eventually this, the chicken joint down the street. <laughs> but it was one of those things that showed me and taught me that the harder I work, the more money I make. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's, if I think about it now from the perspective that I have, I don't know if that's the best mentality to have that you have to work really, really hard all of the time to earn. But it helped me to realize that there really was no limit if I was really willing to, willing to put in the work. And I feel like that was like the, what clicked for me where I was like, oh, I could pick up another shift and make another 200 Mm -hmm. bucks or whatever it is. And it actually was kind of addictive for me. I would work my ass off because I loved having cash and I loved having money. But it was something that was important for me because I did a few hourly jobs. I did one at a nursing home and then I had a few others. I'm trying to think of the other hourly job, babysitting. Mm -hmm. Um, But those, I realized I'm like, oh, it's, I could work however many hours and I'm still kind of making the same. And I didn't like that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I waitressed and bartended for years and years and it was stressful not knowing how much you were going to make, but I think the thrill of all of a sudden, like seeing a tip that was just, you know, five times what it should be or something like that, that kept you coming back. Yes. And not that I was like working harder, but like smarter to get that. Mm -hmm. You understood kind of the psychology around that, which might be a little manipulative, but it's true. If you're in the service industry, you know. You you sort of understand that. And so I think that was like a first thing for me about money. And then realizing that whenever my dad would spend money in my family on something for the family, like he bought us a trampoline that was a hundred dollars from Costco. And I'll never forget, dude. I was like, yo, my dad spent a hundred bucks. And my mom was fucking pissed (laughs) off that we had a trampoline. But I was like, yo, this has made me deeply happy. Mm -hmm. And like, this was like a liberating moment for my dad to buy a trampoline for a (laughs) hundred dollars. And I was like, wow, this money was spent well, I feel freedom Mm -hmm. having, you know, I feel freedom as a kid. I was so grateful. And I was like, wow, this money can really allow you to do things and buy things that you love. Yeah. Yeah. Ramit was saying in this episode that, you know, a lot of men, when they think of money, they think of freedom. A lot Mm -hmm. of women think about safety and security. I thought that was interesting, but I also think that 
at least for us, I do, I do mm-hmm. think of freedom when Same. I think of money. So I, and I don't know if that's because we're that. more masculine. More. I don't know if that's because we're men. I don't know if that's because I've got a big old dick. Yeah, I think freedom is just my number one North mm-hmm. Star for everything, mm-hmm. whether it's freedom of speech, experience, money, mm-hmm. expression, being. Like, freedom is just number one. Yes, I completely but agree. But I do wonder if freedom is, it's like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if freedom is desired once you feel safe and secure. Yeah. And I almost wonder if that's sort of what it is where people at times don't have the opportunity or ability to move into feeling like there is freedom as a possibility because you could be stuck so much in the mindset of um, wanting first safety and security as that foundation. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. And I think in this episode, you all will have an opportunity to reflect on your money story, on those invisible scripts, on your relationship with money and, you know, really pulling out from the shame and the guilt and like kind of the belief that this is just how it is, or this is how you grew up. So this is how you'll always be. And just have kind of like a neutral point, like observation of, oh, I do this when I get my paycheck every month, or I do this when I look at my credit card debt or, you know, my student loans. And so he just gives us like really beautiful ways to kind Mm -hmm. of one by one, just kind of look at it and reflect on it um, and start to make actionable steps. Yeah. This was very psychology of money. Mm -hmm. I think more so than any other conversations that we've had with Ramit. We had him on the show in March of 2020 um, was when we did the interview that was probably released around May. Uh, And then we did a live with Ramit, but I feel like this is more psychology because we talked a lot about his podcast, which is related to relationships and money. So being in a relationship with someone and being really honest with your partner about money and talking Mm -hmm. about numbers and talking about your goals and talking about your wishes. And it's really powerful for someone like Ramit, who's very money focused, but he is about having a life of freedom and just peeling back and going through the steps of what he does that are the same as like people like Joe Dispenza, where you are going into the quantum field to sort of reach to the potential, like there is a potential opportunity in the field for you to feel free, Mm -hmm. for you to feel like everything is easy, for you to feel like money is something that supports you in your dreams. And him asking certain questions and almost triggering visualization for people so that they can see money as something that eventually could be a tool for them. Yeah, definitely. We talked about just to those those numbers or things that you feel like define you and you can't not necessarily do anything about them, but that there are no creative ways to also live your rich life, as he says, and start to either pay down the debt or Mm -hmm. what have you, where we see our credit score, we see our bank account number, and we just become paralyzed. We feel like, okay, so guess it'll take me 20 years to pay it off. Mm -hmm. And that's just what it is. And so he really encourages people to get creative around that. Mm -hmm. Yes, take the information, but it's, there's not, like the math isn't like this one way linear uh, plan Mm -hmm. to get it done, which was liberating. Yeah, I think that's like the way of life is like not accepting anything for how it is Mm -hmm. and always thinking, well, what if it wasn't this way? Yeah. What if there was a different way? And we even had a conversation with a friend the other day 
who got this crazy opportunity <laughs> that I've been thinking about every second for what they do where they were offered a great amount of money for something that they're already doing that makes a lot of sense. And I was like completely expanded by that. I was like, wow, that is life-changing money for something you're already doing that came very easily to you. And that is now possible mm -hmm. for me in my head as well. And there's so much of the way that we live our life where it's like, oh, my body is just this way or my relationships are just this way or my job is just this way or I am just this way. And what if it wasn't? You know, What if it was a different way? What if there was another potential for you to have an existence or experience that was better than what you're currently mm -hmm. having? And that's what's beautiful about Ramit is he brings conscious awareness to things where you know, people are like, well, this is my money story. I went through this experience. My parents didn't have a lot of money. And it's like, well, how would you feel right now if they did? And you had a lot of freedom and you were able to maybe pay off your student loans. What would that be like? And oftentimes we don't allow ourselves to get to that point of feeling dreamy, feeling free, like having our body experience the feeling of freedom and then sort of bringing that and then with the hope to bring that to life. Mm-hmm. Related to just like couples and money, because this is what, again, his podcast, new podcast, which comes out tomorrow is all about. Did you ever feel like weird or awkward talking about money with partners, especially Justin? <laughs> or just in general? <laughs> to be know? honest, we could be a lot better with it. Let's be, let's be fucking yeah, for, crystal yeah. clear. I think, yeah, there's really, there's an, un, there's a generalized understanding. I would, because I feel, this is the whole thing, because I currently feel confident in my money it's easy for me to talk about. Of course, it could be better. You know, mm -hmm. there's just so many ways in which it could be better, but I feel really confident and I'm not sure Justin exactly right now feels completely confident mm -hmm. as the husband or man in our relationship. So it's one of those things where it's like, I think that the conversation sort of stops. And yeah, if I, it totally. was me years ago being in debt, I'd be like, I don't want to talk about it. None mm -hmm. of your business, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I think it's easy to come from a position where I feel abundant to talk about it, but I would love to have more conversations about mm -hmm. it because right now money's like fun. Totally. It's like, and I think too, like taking, and it's hard, you know, you'd like taking the charge out of it where yes. it's like, or the expectation of like, he needs to be making a certain amount because he's the husband. It's like, no, yep. let's just have a conversation because it really does, like how much anxiety is a person carrying around, mm -hmm. around money and how is that inhibiting them from making money? Yes. You mm -hmm. know, it's, 100%. it's like there's something there. He still there. has a little bit of, of, their, of something around being bad. Money's bad in mm -hmm. a way. Yeah. Where a sometimes lot of he'll do. be like, oh, you're obsessed with money. And he'll like, he'll be freaked out a little bit by mm -hmm. my money mentality. And almost you hear him regurgitate the programming that most of mm -hmm. us have around money being, if you want it, it's bad. If you want it, you're greedy. If you want it, you're all of these things. And so I notice him at times sort of having that thought mm -hmm. where there's not like the deep love and reverence. There's not a worship, of course. We do not worship money, but it's like the reverence of money. Like I'm totally. so grateful that it allows me to have healthy food, see my friends, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a tricky thing and I think can bring up so much. But um, I was saying in this episode, just maybe doing a book club with your partner using yeah. Ramit's book. You and Sean are doing that. Yeah, we're going to do that. We've had, you know, he's he's an open book mm -hmm. and I was never like taught to talk about money. Mm -hmm. It was very like, no, we don't talk about money or it's stressful. We don't talk about money. And so it's been actually pretty liberating to be able to have conversations with him and yeah, just talk about like, you know, how we want to invest. It's like, there's a lot of we from him, which mm -hmm. teaches me a lot. Like, mm -hmm. just like, okay, so we can invest in things together. 
we opened up like a joint account. So like we're living together. So it's just, it's teaching me to not be as like private about it because Mm -hmm. there's nothing to be ashamed of. I also am in a place, thankfully, where I do now feel really confident with Mm -hmm. my money and investing and just, and like living my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful he also has like that, I'm gonna live my life, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna kind of, but I do think, I think what, what his thing is, it's not an awareness. I just don't think he's spent time thinking about like, huh, I can strategically put some money over here and over here and over here Mm -hmm. and have it in 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Like I think his job does that for him naturally, but I think there's an awareness of it. I think he's intimidated by it. Mm. Math intimidates him. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, big time. So it's like that piece, I think he just knows in general, like what's coming in Mm -hmm. and it feels really comfortable and he can do this and that. But I do think that it would behoove us as a couple to be like, okay, cool. So if we want to do this in five years, 10 years, like what are we talking about? And um, I think just the planning together piece is something that I want to do. And and just to have like a little bit more visibility. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to tell me everything or show me everything or me to him. But um maybe this is like a fear statement, but I feel like I've heard of a lot of like older people be like, yeah, I had no idea that my husband or wife was in debt like that I or know. da da da. So I kind of want to have an awareness. I do too. You know, I don't want to like- My mom's like obsessed with that. Yeah, I don't want to be surprised. She's like, what's his credit score? <laughs> totally. Literally, she's like credit score obsessed. <laughs> she's literally like call her credit karma. Top dollar. Top I mean, dollar's the, credit karma. You know, I love Which is, it. I'm it's grateful great. for it. Because I've actually- she opened up a credit card for me when I was like 14 mm-hmm. and had like $100 limit. So I've had credit since I was it's like 14 awesome. years old and I have really good credit. But yeah, and so I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that sentiment. But there is that visibility piece too. Yeah. It's also like what I share, you know, I would have to then be open to share my monthly spending. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm spending on, you know, all of that. So it's it's a little funky, but- yeah, I agree. So this is interesting with Ramit because we talk a lot about um, what he finds as trends in couples when they're talking about money. We talk a lot about the psychology of money, which we mentioned. We actually um, talked a little bit about taxes at the end, which was mm-hmm. interesting. And I just really know that you all will enjoy this conversation. It feels really incredibly aligned to our audience and things that we're interested in. And we had so much fun recording. Yeah, he's truly the best. You will. He's just someone you trust. Yes. <laughs> There's no bullshit there. You can uh, learn more. He has a a few like just top of the line programs um, for you as either entrepreneurs or people who want to take control of their money and finances. I will teach you to be rich.com. The book is I will teach you to be rich and the podcast is I will teach you to be rich. It is out and launching uh, August 4th. All right, guys. We will see you on the next one, almost30.com. You can find everything related to Almost 30. We're so excited about our new members and the membership. It has been such a joy to have you. Membership enrollment is closed. It closed on the 31st and it has just been the best yeah, we love with you our guys. new members. We love <laughs> you so much. We're so glad we could have you at camp. We're going to be doing some exciting things related to Podcast Pro in the fall. We have our accelerator programs where we support people in launching their show and then also growing and monetizing their show. So keep your eyes peeled for some of those special coaching programs that we're going to be doing in the fall. Thanks for listening. Share this with a friend if it resonates and we will see you on the other side. See you soon. Bye.
So excited for me, the man, <laughs> the myth, the we legend. Had, we had so much fun on our live in the pandemic. Yeah, that was a blast. That was mm-hmm. so much fun. I was really like, this is a delight. And we had so much fun last time you were on in March. We really showcased our knowledge and expertise. <laughs> oh, oh, that oh was God. some of my favorite memories of getting like two plus two equals nine. <laughs> right, I remember like, that. Yeah. He was like, so if you have a thousand and you lose 900, how much do you have? And I was like, Four million? <laughs> like it was, he, he was trying to give an example that I could, was not picking up. And yeah. it was on video, so we could see our it eyes It was on cross. video. I should actually, you should actually pull that out. I know. Um, but we're excited to have you, especially because you have your new podcast, Thank talking you. about money and relationships. So what made you go that direction instead of talking traditionally about money or starting a business or like creating a life that you love, which are a lot of the pillars of what you do now? Yeah, I love talking about creating a rich life. And I think money is a small but important part. I think maybe starting a business for people or certainly negotiating their salary. Uh, But my podcast friends for years have been telling me, you idiot, why don't you have a podcast? And the frank truth is that I couldn't come up with a concept that I loved. Mm. Like my worst nightmare is to go into Peoria, Illinois and tell some couple, you can't shop at Target anymore. It's like hell. I don't want to do that. And almost all financial stuff that you see in the media is about restriction. No, you can't get lattes and no, you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So I just waited. And part of my life philosophy is that for the important things in life, I'm infinitely patient. Mm -hmm. I'll wait. I'll wait and wait until the time is right. And then I'll go all in. And so my wife and I got married and I think we talked a little bit about getting, we we worked through some financial challenges we had. We signed a prenup. And once we got married, it was more about how do we align on day-to-day finances? And so that was really challenging, mm-hmm. right? How do you set up a system and get on the same page when both of you think about money in a different way, when you both have different earnings? And over time, we started to get better at it. And finally, we started to get this sense of, okay, This is actually fun. We have goals. We have a rich life that we're looking forward to and building towards. And I started talking to my friends about it. Friends, readers, and they started telling me the craziest stories you can possibly imagine. Now, my fantasy has always been to listen to a couple talking about money. I sit there with a gigantic bowl of popcorn and I just drop, I drop these crazy lines like, you said what? <laughs> or, or you know, like he said what? And then I just sit back with my popcorn and let let the fire fork, fireworks unfold. Well, so if you guys aren't into the podcast yet, you should. Be. Yeah, this is uh, the new podcast. So, so here's what I learned. Yeah. I started uh, inviting couples just to give them some free, you know, advice and and talk about money. Turns out that most people in a in a relationship have at least one disagreement that is consistent with money. It could be he's a spender, she's a saver. It could be they have different incomes, whatever. And most people go 40 years having the same fight over and over. So when I invited them to talk to me, they knew because I'm the I will teach you to be rich guy. I'm not just going to joke around and make fun of them. Of course not. I'm actually going to work with them. And so I did it just for fun. I did it on Instagram a little bit. I spoke to a couple, they're both veterinarians and they have over $500,000 of debt and it's crippling to them. Mm. And he is sort of nonchalant about it. She wants to get on with their life. And as we started talking about this, people were watching, they go, oh my God, I have never seen 
two people talking about money with real numbers? Because we haven't. Yeah. When was the last time anybody had access behind closed doors to a couple sharing real stories? Never. Mm-hmm. So I started doing this and because of the trust in my audience, they opened up and they tell me their numbers. They tell me the real challenges and we talk about it. And sometimes I give them tough love. Sometimes I show them you are already winning and you don't even know it. You're beating Mm -hmm. yourselves up so badly. And this is the podcast. I will teach you to be rich. Oh my God. Mm. Yeah. That like how terrifying the real numbers can be to say out loud. I think, you know, we've talked about this on our podcast with you previously, but like, just kind of the either not looking at our finances or not allowing other people to look at them because there's so much shame and there's so much guilt, et cetera. So I guess, where do you start? Like, for example, with something like so much debt, I feel like with something that feels so overwhelming, I think we just get paralyzed and Mm -hmm. we ignore it because we don't know where to start. Like how does it start with mindset or does it start with like the more tactical? No, it starts with a very vivid example from the last 30 days. So if Mm -hmm. I had asked that couple, what are your problems with money? They would just spin and, you know, within seven minutes, they'd be talking about how he cuts onions. I hate it. He never sharpens the knife. We don't need that. Mm -hmm. So I start off by saying, tell me a time in the last 30 days where you were not on the same page financially. Yep. And when I when I asked them that question, each of them viscerally knows. They have yeah. an example. And so we talk They're about it. They're like, I'm that. glad you asked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they want to talk 100%. about it. They want to talk about it. And so we get into the example and it could be, you know, uh, I feel like we're always getting one step forward, two steps back, whatever. And I... I probe them. I say, tell me a little bit more about that. Why does it frustrate you? And you can hear it. Most people have never been asked questions like this. Yes. Never. They've never been listened to. It's the same pattern of, no, I don't want you to do that. And they just get into that same old- you know, paralysis. I read this book and they call it, she calls it the, she's a relationship expert. She calls it the demon dialogues. Love it. And it's when you get that trigger where it's mm-hmm. like, and then all of a sudden you're clicked in and you fucking are off to the races yes. and you don't yeah. even know what you're talking about. Exactly. And so here you have a third party who's genuinely curious. I'm asking like, tell me about that. Why does that frustrate you so much? What does it feel like? And sometimes flipping it, what would it feel like if it was easy? And they're almost shaken out of this stupor and they go, well, we would be on the same page. We'd be rowing in the same direction. It would feel fun. Mm. It would feel like Mm. a partnership. So that's the first part is just getting into an example. I don't need their whole life history. I just need two or three pieces of information to pull on the threads. The next thing I do, and I want everyone listening to try to go along this journey with me. I ask them, what is your rich life? Mm. Actually, if you both would love to participate, let's do this together right now. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, would love to. All right. So what is your rich life? Mm. My rich life is being able to go on vacations with no limit Mm -hmm. (laughs) to what I spend. I think you inspired me with this no limit to health and wellness spending. Yep. Being able to live in a home that I feel comfortable in, that I could ho- house guests in, that feels really nourishing, feels really open, feels expansive. There's art everywhere. And then feeling like there's freedom in what I do so that I can lead and follow any intuitive hits 
and my business is supporting that. So my business is running enough so that any intuitive hits creatively, I can pursue those knowing I'm supported. Wow. Mm. Okay. We're in this business. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> okay, so you, you, I love the texture of what yeah. you just talked about. It wasn't just, I want to be healthy and I want to live in a nice place. Very specific. I think a lot of people are never given the permission to dream. Yeah. And I think what's special about our space and what's really important about what you're talking about is that there's actually a lot of psychology and science around visualization and around having these specific examples and having the specific feelings, like even the work of Joe Dispenza, who's a doctor that talks a lot about like getting in the feeling, having your body be in the feeling of the experience. So what is the feeling of living with ease? People don't even tap into that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're really opening up a different world for people by even asking questions like, what would it feel like to be easy? Or how can you visualize this future? And I think that's really, really, really important. Yeah, I agree. And um, with money, it's scary yeah. because people don't want to dream because they feel like if they put the yeah. dream out there and they don't achieve it, they have failed. Yes. But to me, I would rather put a big dream out there. Let's call it a dream level 100 and in reality reach dream level 75 than to have zero dreams yeah. and achieve level zero. Yeah. I'm okay only getting 80% of the way there because yeah. my dreams are really big. Yes. And I- I wish that for everyone. So if I were speaking to a typical person who wasn't as savvy as you, I would pull on those threads. Yeah. I would say, okay, you want to travel. Where do you want to go? Yes. And then they would say, oh, I want to go to Bali. Okay, what airline seat are you sitting on? Mm -hmm. Who are you taking with you? What are you eating for lunch? And I remember speaking to a couple, this is one of the episodes on my podcast. And there's a husband and wife. They live here in Southern California. And they each make about $150,000. Their finances are doing very well. They spend less than 11% on their mortgage. And he told me, he said, I'm the man of the house, so I have to pay for everything. I'm down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this Whatever is not supposed to be a how-to guide, okay? <laughs> Literally. I'm glad you brought this up. So, so, but guess what? At the end of every month, he's in the red because he can't afford it. Oh, uh -huh. so, so his wife goes, I don't want him to pay for everything. I think we should proportionally split it. So I started digging and pulling on those threads. And it turns out that ever since he was a kid, his immigrant parents were very bad with money. He had to field these collection agencies mm. and, and sort of deal with his dad's spending problem. I said, how old were you when you did this? He tells me elementary school. So since he was five, six years old, he's been seeing money as a problem wow. to be solved, not as a source of joy or opportunity or growth or ordering room service in a hotel. No, it's just a problem. And so she wanted to go on vacation. And he doesn't want her to plan the vacation. Why? Because she is going to pick an expensive hotel and they're going to have to order room service and pay for parking or whatever. And I said, and then what? So I used the, so then what yes. technique. Okay, so then what? Well, it's going to be really expensive. So then what? Well, we're not going to be able to afford it. Now I happen to know all their finances. That's the great joy in these mm -hmm. conversations. I go, you're rich mm -hmm. and you're still acting like you're poor. Mm -hmm. When are you going to be able to actually embrace the hard work and money that you've created? And you know, his answer as 
almost everyone who has anxiety around money is someday. Mm-hmm. When yes. I have a million, when I have 2 million, when I have this debt paid off, blah, 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 blah. But your feelings about money are very, very uncorrelated with the amount of money in your bank account. And that is something most people do not ever grapple with. Whether they're in $300,000 of debt, they tell themselves, I'll feel better once I pay it all off. No, you won't. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, Mm -hmm. I spoke to a woman. She has 18 months of payments left on her student loan from an Ivy League college. She feels anxious, guilty, shameful about money. I said, how do you think you're going to feel in month 19? And you could tell she's never thought about this. Mm. She goes, I hope better, question mark. And I point blank told her, you're not going to feel better about Mm -hmm. your money. The way you're currently going, you will always feel anxious. Mm -hmm. Right now, you're telling yourself, I got to pay off my debt. Then it's going to be, I got to get $5,000 in savings. Then -hmm. it's going to be, I got to buy a house. And you blink your eyes and you're 65. You're still anxious about money. You never found joy. You never allowed yourself to order an appetizer at a restaurant. And I think it's a tragedy to live a smaller life than you have to. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. For the wedding, we just got married in Mexico and I was like, I got it, whatever. Like, I just was like, why am I making money if I'm not going to spend it on things that are really, really important to me? And when am I going to not limit myself and be like, okay, I can't spend that when I have the money? Like, at this time, you know, we've made enough money where I had the money to spend on the wedding that I loved. It wasn't like crazy insane, but it felt like it was us. And I was like, just no shame. I was like, oh, this Mm -hmm. is perfect. I'm thankful that I can spend money on this. So let me ask you a question because I I share your philosophy. My wife and I had a very large wedding and we loved it, but it's very counterculture to do that in America. Mm. In America, we revel in the idea that I'm just going to serve M&Ms and hot tamales at my wedding. Weddings are a waste of money mm-hmm. and you should save all your money and put it into a mortgage. Yeah. Okay. First of all, it's bullshit. I love how the same people who can't even plan their meal at Chili's this Saturday are suddenly <laughs> thinking about their 40 year it's from facts. now greatest investment of their life. It's Where did facts. this come from? The answer is the National Association of Realtors. You guys are being fed a line of bullshit. Anyway, mm-hmm. we can talk about that. How did you mm-hmm. reconcile this idea of, hey, I'm going to spend unapologetically on my wedding. When most media in America demeans that and they tell you that it's frivolous and you should just save all your money. How'd you do that? I do feel like there there was a little bit of that in my head. Where I was like, oh, we could spend it on a house, but the house, I'm just like, what's that about? Because I'm just going to be spending, you know, you just... I've learned a lot from you about how you overspend on houses. Then we're kind of stuck there. And I think it was just something where I've been coming to this place, probably with a lot of help from your work, where I'm like, I'm working so hard. I need to live and enjoy my life. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the fact that I'm older. You know, I'm 33. I'm older than, you know, we've been together for 10 years. So if we would have got engaged when I was a lot younger, I probably would have felt shame and all of these things. And I've been working really hard. And it's like, now when you start to spend money on things that you love, you just feel like, oh, this is what it's for. Like, this is what it's for. This is what it's about. Like, there's no waiting for my joy. So I love this. So what I'm hearing from you is you have a sense of purpose mm-hmm. with your money. Yes. It's not mindless. I think it would have been mindless for you to say, uh, weddings are bad. I don't know why, but somebody somewhere on some TV show told me, I feel guilty. So I'm going to shrink myself mm-hmm. and minimize myself because I can't allow myself that joy. Yes. Why? Because I might never earn this kind of money again. And I need to 
feel safe for the next 60 years. Mm -hmm. And that's what so many people do. So I think it's amazing. And I hope everybody listening is, is really internalizing this concept of you cannot change your beliefs about money by telling yourself, stop feeling bad. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. What you did instead, which is way more effective is acknowledge the feelings. Yeah. Okay. I do feel bad. Maybe it is frivolous. I, I, I hear these messages and somehow I've internalized them, but more importantly, I'm going to build a purpose for myself. Mm -hmm. And by building a powerful purpose that you are driven towards, that you want to go towards, naturally, some of these feelings, these scarcity-based feelings are going to go away. When you and your husband say, I want this mm -hmm. and we can afford it, let's mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you don't have to grapple with, I don't know, am I a bad person yes. for doing that? No, forget that. Yes. Money should not be about guilt. It should be about opportunity, mm -hmm. growth, a rich life. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Yeah, I thought I thought that example of your wedding was such a powerful one just as a friend to witness mm -hmm. because yeah, I think there are so many, as you say, like invisible scripts around yes. these things that we spend money on. And even I was thinking, you know, just growing up, like our parents, at least my parents, like there, there is this idea of like, okay, well, later in life when I retire, and I almost see now the eyes on me or our generation and I don't know if there's judgment, but there is kind of this like, huh, like they're cocking their head like, mm -hmm. so you're going on a trip, like a lavish trip right now, you know? And yeah. it's, and it doesn't quite make sense to them. And thankfully I've, I've done enough work to not like allow that to kind of enter my, my consciousness and affect how I make decisions. But yeah, I just think that, I think that our generation is slowly but surely, and I, I'm curious, this is kind of my question to you because I know you get a lot of questions from people our age or around it, where they are kind of understanding that the work that they put in, the the money that they make is for a living. Where do you find though that people are having the most trouble in deciding like what is valuable to them? Oh, it's a classic. Um, when I ask people, what's your rich life? The answers are very vague. There's three answers that represent about 90% of what I hear. The first is I want to do what I want when I want. I go, okay, <laughs> what do you want? They go, uh, so they've never really thought deeply about it. The second is, uh, I want to have a million bucks. Well, does that kind of depend if you live in Brooklyn or if you live in, you know, Seattle or uh, somewhere in Texas, of course. And then the third most haunting answer is, I just want to pay off my debt. And this is the concept of a ghost. You hear this with individuals and couples. They have a ghost on their shoulder or in the middle of their relationship. And it haunts everything they think about. Every day of their life, they wake up. Oh God, I got this debt. Can we go to this hotel? Got this debt. Can we eat out or invite our oh friends? God. Got this debt. Mm. And I don't mind that they feel that way. That's a real feeling. I, one of the things that I talk a lot about in my book and my, my material is these emotions are real, mm -hmm. right? Money psychology is at least as important as the math. So first I want to acknowledge that. Why do you feel that way? So then what? I want to probe them. What's the worst that could happen? Now let's flip that. What's the best that could happen? We kind of explore the, the tapestry of their emotions, but then it's not enough to just talk about your feelings. I find that people who have money problems love to talk about their money problems. Yes. And sometimes I find this in self-development as well. It's fine to acknowledge that you have challenges or you have certain feelings, but 
We can't simply soak ourselves in those feelings. That's not enough. And in fact, that can become addictive and destructive. So what happens after that is critical. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is, let's make a plan. I'll give you an example. Um, I have uh, many people I talk to, they're in what they consider a severe amount of debt. The funniest part is it could be 20000 or 400000 They both feel the same way. Does anybody else find that crazy? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. this debt is overwhelming. I go, how much is it? 20,000 in my head. I'm like running the math in my head. Like I can see the numbers flipping around mm-hmm. and I already know exactly how long it will take them to pay off, but it doesn't matter to them because they've never gotten to that point. At that point, they are problem oriented, not solution oriented. So I, I talk about the feelings and I want to understand where it come from, how to happen. And then I say, how long do you think it'll take you to pay it off? 95% of people do not know their debt payoff date. Mm-hmm. That's not Okay. And so this is where the tough love comes in. It's not acceptable to have a ghost on your shoulder, making you feel bad, guilty, shame for the last nine years. And you've never gone to Google and typed in debt payoff calculator. Mm -hmm. So you come to me because (laughs) I'm going to listen to you, but I'm also going to give you a gentle nudge and say, hey, we're going to create a plan right now. So we do it. We do it on the spot. And they'll realize some of them can pay it off in 18 months, which is nothing. Some of them, they have got 20 years of payments. Fine. Let's talk about that now. What if you put an extra 50 bucks towards it? It can cut your payments by six years. Wow. The the young woman that I spoke to last night, she had 18 months of payments left and she was very restrictive about her money. And she said, the math doesn't lie. That's the plan. 18 months is just math. I said, math lies all the time. The plan you put together is based on your psychological understanding of money. So she goes, what do you mean? I said, how'd you choose 18 months for the payoff? She goes, well, you know, of course you got to pay off your debt as fast as you can. I go, do you? She sat there stunned. She'd never considered it. Imagine this. She will not allow herself to go out to a restaurant because this debt is on her shoulder. And she even told me point blank. She goes, I think very linearly. I think that first I need to pay off mm-hmm. my debt. Then I can start doing this. Then I can do that. Then I can buy a house. Da, 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 da. I go, what's the cost of that belief? She goes, I'm probably not feeling happy about my money at all. I go, when was the last time you ever felt happy about your money? She goes, I can't remember when. So I said to her one challenge, what if you allowed yourself to pay off your debt in 19 months, not 18, and you gave yourself just a little freedom to be able to go out to that restaurant, Thai restaurant that she wanted to go to. It had never occurred to her. Mm. Why? Because she's always been driven by this invisible script. Debt is bad and I need to pay it off as quickly as I can. Now, I don't want anyone listening to this to take away the fact, I'm not telling you to go to stay at luxury hotels if you got 50 grand of debt. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is we want to first acknowledge our emotions. Then we want to create a plan and really interrogate that plan so it fits in our lifestyle. If you wake up every day and feel bad about money, that's a red flag. If you wake up every day, whether or not you have debt and you feel good, you've got a vision, a rich life, you have some enjoyment as well as some hardship that you're accepting because of your place in life, now you're working that plan. Mm. And I think like, you know, to that point, I think we feel we are so much in the, tell me what I am. So we see our credit score. We see what's in our bank account. We see the debt we have. We're like, oh, that's who I am. And that defines us. And that's kind of what I have to work with. But to your point, it's information. 
that you can personally work with to fit into your life and your desires. And yeah, I felt that way many times in my life. We're like, okay, well, what do I do? Like, that's what it is. Totally. Period. That's that's the math. And that's what some random multi-billion dollar credit rating agency told me. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Okay, use the information. Yes, it's valuable. It tells you, hey, if your credit is is in the tank, you probably shouldn't go buy a $5 million house in West LA. Okay. If you're in tons of debt, you probably have a spending issue. Let's try to tackle that and figure out what's going on. Or you have some kind of healthcare thing that came up. If you're making a ton of money and it's just sitting in a checking account, that's a problem as well. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Why do you feel like investing is gambling? Let's talk about that. Let's get educated. But I'm not going to let someone else, especially some distant credit agency or some stupid bank, tell me who I am. I decide. Mm -hmm. And that's my wish for everybody. You decide. You decide your rich life. Don't let anybody tell you that buying a beautiful dress is frivolous. If that's what you love, if that's your money dial clothes, go Mm -hmm. all in. Mm -hmm. If you love to travel, turn it up. Tell me what that looks like. If you love convenience like I do, build your life around that. Nobody decides your rich life except you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and she did um, a few months of a trainer and a nutrition coach. And part of it was she had to weigh herself every day and she had to do measurements every day. And I was thinking, I'm like, wow, that would be really hard for me to you know, go through that experience. And then I was thinking, it's like, the problem that I have isn't with, the, it's like my problem is my relationship to the truth. Like the truth isn't the problem. Like the truth is just what it is. Like this is what it is. And especially with money, it's like, this is what it is. You have this much debt, you're experiencing this, but it's our problem is the relationship to that. It's yeah. like, oh, I always have this. I always have to pay it off. And it's heartbreaking to see, but I do feel like there's also chemical responses happening where people and their bodies get addicted to that story. So we wake up in the morning, the chemicals in our body are looking for the reasons to feel stressed, to feel anxious. And then we find and loop in that story of debt, of shame, Mm -hmm. of guilt or whatever. So it's rewiring and sort of breaking that chemical response that we need to continue to do repeatedly. And I think it's so important. It's like what you're doing with a lot of this is like bringing everyone to a conscious state because so much people are just unconscious. It's like, why do you have to pay it off in 18 months? An unconscious thought is not thinking that there's another potential in the field. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to like have opportunities where people in your life or situations can bring you to like conscious awareness to really think about what's happening. Yeah, I think that's what is so great about this podcast, right? You challenge people in many different parts of mm-hmm. their life to think about it. And they may decide something that you would not decide. That's okay. As I said, your rich life is yours, it's not mine. But we want to interrogate these big questions in our lives, the big ones. Who do I want to be partnered with? Where do I want to live? What is my purpose in terms of work? Um, What do I want to do with money? Do I want to make a lot of money or is it not important to me? Those are questions that are worth pondering. Ironically, we spend often more time looking at a Yelp review for a restaurant than we do thinking about some of these big questions. How do I negotiate my salary? That's worth talking about. Um, so I'm glad that you do that. And I think that one, one of the reasons is we simply don't know it's possible. Mm-hmm. We, we've never been around people. You know, we may have grown up in a small town. People think, oh, you're just lucky to have a job. It's bullshit. Yeah. Second, um, we see these things actively stigmatized. Many of us grew up hearing phrases like, we don't talk about money in this family mm-hmm. or money doesn't grow on trees. 
And so we almost feel that if we talk about these things, that we're being selfish or evil, that being rich is somehow bad, right? There's even this phrase in America, we love to hear it in small towns, money changes people. Mm-hmm. Notice how I said that, <laughs> money changes people. I got this disgusting sneer on my yes. face right now. What, what is really going on with that phrase? What they're saying is, if you make money, the only way to make money is by stepping on other people. Mm-hmm. So therefore you will become evil and change. Mm-hmm. Now, let me answer that. Yeah, money does change people. It changed me. Okay, I grew up middle class, big family. We rarely ate out when we did. We did not order appetizers. Money changed me. It allowed me to be more adventurous, more spontaneous, more generous, and I'm thrilled for it. Mm -hmm. And so when you model your wedding by saying, this is what we want, and we're going to bring everybody along with us, that's a really powerful example And more of us need examples of people living rich lives joyfully, unapologetically, which is why I think what you do here is amazing. Mm. I think the generosity piece is is really interesting. It's a piece of of living a rich life that I've just noticed in the last few years has been just something that fills me up so much. And whether it's creating experiences for friends or whether it's donating to a cause that you believe in or what have you, I just feel like those that are living in that scarcity, for them to feel that um, that give back energy is like, will give you so much energy, yeah. you yes. know, and motivate you even more to show up for work. There is something to that. And I definitely didn't grow up seeing that modeled of like giving back or like going outside of the family and mm-hmm. allowing your your wealth of sorts to just kind of bleed into other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much like, this is your money. You invest in your life. Yeah. You know, keep it to yourself. So I've just learned that in the last few years. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's like, that is a pillar of my rich life. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. Yeah. I'm glad you're talking about that because again, you're serving as a model for other people to realize Hey, if I decide and set an intention that I want to make money, that I'm not going to turn into this Cruella DeVille type villain out there. No, I can actually retain my values, add some new values, be generous. I'll give you a couple examples from my life and how I did this. When COVID hit, we first got with my family, moved my family out of the city. We made sure we were safe. We were fortunate to be able to do that. Called my team up, told them business is still going on like usual. We have a COVID stipend. Use it for your family. Use it for you. Mm. Get safe gloves, whatever you need. Do it. And um, and we did we did a payment freeze for our customers. And then as the election was going on, I, I'm I'm very political, and voting rights is my mm-hmm. big political issue. And I wanted people to be able to get to the polls. And so I wrote a hundred thousand dollar check out of my personal account so that everyone could have a free ride in these four different important cities. I want people to be able to vote. Mm -hmm. That's an intention I have. Now, because of my business and because of hard work and because of a lot of luck, I can back that up, not just with time, but with substantial amounts of donations. This is what I want for everyone. Your values, they can be as large as a $100,000 check or bigger. They can be as small as being a really generous tipper. 
when you go out to dinner. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter the amount to start. What matters is using your money in a way that's not just for you. That's fine. You want a beautiful house? Be my guest. You love sweaters. I love them too. But there's enough that you can also help other people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge. And I think this whole podcast is us sucking up to you. <laughs> I think brown nosing. You're like, we're perfect examples. Um, but I feel like I've we've learned a lot just through readings and stuff. And then Happy Pocket Full of Money. Have you read Happy Pocket Full no. of Money? It's actually really, really good. It's got a really corny cover and a really corny title, but it's a lot of uh, like quantum physics of money and like energetics of money. And in it, they talk about like the circulation of money and Mm -hmm. being someone that's circulating money and having the opportunity to circulate money in a really good way. And I think about that with almost 30. I'm like, I'm so grateful that I'm able to circulate money to the right people or people that I perceive to be the right people. Like, you know, people on our team and almost 30, you know, we're pretty flat. Like we actually pay people really well. Like Lindsay and I make good money enough to live, but it's not like we're, we could probably take a bigger salary and keep wages lower, I guess, within the business. But it's something it's like, we want our employees to be happy. We want to be able to circulate money to people on our team that we really love and value. And we know that it'll be like returned to us tenfold. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're listening to this and you're saying, Hey, that's great. Like I can't write a big check like that. Let's talk about how you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a friend of mine who's basically 40 years old. He's new to investing. He goes, hey, can you help me out? I go, love to. Mm-hmm. So first I was like, read this book. I give him my book. And he comes back <laughs> with some questions. He, he wanted to know about setting up some SEP IRA or something. So he, he didn't quite understand the math of investing. And that's fine. It's very counterintuitive. Again, he's 40 years old. He's never invested. So I showed him a couple of examples. I went to Google. I found a compound interest chart. You can just search for it. And I plugged in a few numbers for him. I said, look, I happen to know he had a few thousand bucks to start with. And I knew his basic salary. So I said, okay, you're going to basically be able to contribute this much per year. A good rule of thumb, 10% of your gross salary. That's fine. I'd prefer 20, but 10% is fine. So if he invested for a few years... It's fine. It doesn't turn out to anything particularly noteworthy, but it's fine. But as he gets older, the numbers get really, really large. So it takes him about 20 years, just conservatively investing to have a million bucks. And most people are like, I don't want to wait 20 years to have a million bucks. But remember, it's not like he's slaving away to contribute every single month. It's just automatic. He's not even thinking about it. After 20 years, it takes him about five years to get to 2 million. And then even less time to get to 3 million. Most people who start investing, they make 90 plus percent of their net worth in the last few years of their investing mm-hmm. time. That's super counterintuitive. So if you're you know, listening here and saying, yeah, I'd like to be able to write these checks and help these people, et cetera. Awesome. You could start off with a small amount today, but one of the best things you can do for your own rich life is to start investing automatically, not it's not difficult. You set it up automatically. It's chapter three and seven of my book and you don't think about it. And the money accumulates and grows and it is highly counterintuitive as to how fast it grows. Mm -hmm. So that would be one of my other greatest wishes for people. Once you have described your rich life and hopefully dreamed even bigger than you thought possible is make a plan. 
Start investing. That's the way you get there. Yeah, the auto transfer is huge. Mm-hmm. I do that yeah. too, which is huge. I think probably heard about that from your book. And then the other thing I really loved, I don't know, it was the orange accounts with like, yeah. I remember the old version yeah, of the book. Yeah, ING Direct. ING Direct, Which yeah. is now like Capital One 360. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like recommending specific yes. credit cards and accounts. I remember I listened to Oprah one day in the 90s and Oprah was talking about her favorite things. Oprah at 4 p.m., big fan. And, <laughs> Same. And I, I was so confused because I thought, don't don't people think that she's in cahoots? And, and what I realized oh. is they don't care. They love Oprah. They love and they trust her. And so I started recommending the exact accounts I use. I don't have deals with these companies. They're just the ones that I personally use. So people listen to me. Oprah they, has deals though. I know. Well, she's Oprah. Yeah. I'm not Oprah. I'm D-list. <laughs> I was like, Dude, these are she's my favorite Oprah. things. And also they paid a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel list. like you could have deals yes. with these companies and you choose not to. Is that true? Yeah, because okay. I because I, I make money from selling premium programs that are world-class. You want to know how to start a business? Get earnable. You know, want to know how to find a $50,000 raise? Get dream job. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. But people listen to me. They go, this guy's kind of weird. He sits here. He knows every intricacy of every single account. He sits there on Saturday nights and reads all the details. And then he hates Wells Fargo and Bank of America because fuck them. And, <laughs> and he calls out companies in his New York Times bestselling book. Who the hell is this guy? So, and then after a while, they go, I really hate my bank. Who should I go with? Boom. Mm-hmm. I trust Rumi. Mm-hmm. And that's what my business is. It's based on them trusting me. So when I tell them I have most of my net worth in a Vanguard account, they're like, okay, I could spend the next three years researching this or I can just listen to this guy and tell me what the best one is. Same for credit cards, checking accounts, et cetera. So I think I love to be specific. When people want to know about negotiation, I tell them the exact words to use. When they want to know how to write an email to a busy person, I show them the emails that I use. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of value in that for people to Sometimes people need a bit of a helping hand. For sure. Mm-hmm. There's psychology in that. I remember taking a psychology of selling course. Mm. And if you come up to someone, you're like, you know, this coffee isn't as good as other coffees, but it's still really good. People will trust you more and like learn to, like you saying yes. like, this one sucks. This is bad. People trust someone that says something is bad in comparison to something else over someone that's like, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. Because they're like, how do I trust mm-hmm. you? Because there's no standard for anything. Yeah, you you want to know if somebody recommends yes. something to you, what they like, but also what they don't like. It helps you triangulate. Yes. Um, triangulate, yes, yeah. exactly. What, what is... I just want to say about (laughs) men and women, like in your relationship conversations, what are you noticing as patterns uh, between men and women when you're speaking to them about money? There are some patterns. First, they might not be the patterns you think. Uh, Often 50% of the time we have men earning more, 50% we have women earning more. So super interesting there. Those do change some of the dynamics when you have higher earners in different genders. But overall, if you're in a relationship with a high earning partner, you at least know that this is reality. So mm-hmm. then you start to grapple with, how do you deal with that? I would say that when I ask people, I ask them this question, when you think of money, what's the first word that comes to mind? What would the answer be for both of you? Fun. Wow. <laughs> mm. When I think of money, the first thing that comes to mind is the word intelligence. Wow. Okay, you two are too good. You're very unusual. And that's why <laughs> you do what you do. We've done a lot of work on yeah. it. Honestly, we've done a lot of work on it. So okay, this is why people listen said, to you. What if I say if I said scared? Yeah, that, uh, the, the biggest... Tommy, what about you? 
Freedom. Freedom. Okay, yeah. Love it, love it. Mm. So everyone in this room is a self-development freak. <laughs> yeah, literally. Right. We're These not are not fun. normal people. We're like expansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Intention. Money is energy. Liberation. Like, I, re- I remember one time yeah, I, was at, I was out to dinner with a bunch of life coaches. And oh, this is the oh, first, wow. I know, first and last time. Fly on wall, yeah, 100%. And they go, they go, uh, they go, yeah, you know, we were, we were holding the space oh for some fucking ah! thing. And You're I go, my husband. And I go, um, I was like, first of all, in my head, I was like, Ramit, don't say it. But I can't, I can't control I it. So I go, um, you know, just out of curiosity, do you think that ordinary people know what that phrase means? And like the table turned on me, like in a split, I could feel the energy. <laughs> and they go, they go, what are you talking about? Yep. I go, hold the space. Have you ever talked to a normal person? They go, what do you mean normal? I go, someone who's not in the fucking self-development yes. world 24-7. <laughs> Circle jerk. They, they could not fathom that ordinary people do not use the phrase hold the space. Mm. So anyway, why am I talking? I don't know why I'm talking about My this. My husband, that's him too. He's like, oh, do you guys hold space all night? <laughs> like he always is like, oh, are you holding? Like he's like, I don't know what you're saying. I know. I'm your like, energy I speak today. fluent English I, and I cannot understand what is happening yeah, right I now. Do. Well, I, I think, know. I think that's also speaking to kind of like the the trust piece, you know, because if someone yeah. is speaking in that type of language, which by the way, we have a lot of friends who are coaches and whatnot and can at times use this language, but I think there's an ability to just be fucking real, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that kind of allows people to then get a little closer and be like, oh, okay. Because people are intimidated when they hear something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we have to be able to leverage code switching. We have to be able to meet people where they are. If somebody comes to me as a very sophisticated investor, of course, we're going to be talking about very, very detailed things, right? We're going to be looking at every different part of their asset allocation and their tax minimization and all kinds of stuff. Mm. But an ordinary person is talking about things like, I feel overwhelmed. So a really good teacher can meet them where they are. And as they unfold, as they become more advanced, we can talk about more advanced stuff. Okay, back to the question. As I was making fun of everyone in this room for using all these weird words, <laughs> which I love, but they're not It's annoying, normal. to be honest. The, the, the most common answer that I get from women when I ask the question, what does money mean to you, is safety and security. Super common. Men, freedom. Mm. So that's a very telling yes. comment. And I don't mind it. In fact, that was the same thing that my wife said. Can you believe that? My wife, the, when we were seeing a therapist because we were having trouble with our prenup discussions, she asked that question. And I was like, what kind of question? In my head, again, Remy, don't say it. <laughs> what kind of question is that? But it was so obvious to me, growth, growth. And then, and then I was stunned when I look over my wife goes, security. I was like, or safety. It's like, safety? That's like that's like saying um, coffee. Like it, it's just a word that mountain. It has no relation in my mind. Yes. So that really started off a great discussion. Luckily, because we're both curious, so we go, "What do you mean? Like, what does that mean?" And so, you know, my wife was talking about, "I want to feel safe. I don't want to feel like there's not going to be enough." And I'm like, "I already know all the compound interest charts in the back of my head. I go, I know exactly when we will have this and mm-hmm. that, and when we can do this." but we're two ships passing in the night. We're not speaking the Mm. same language. And so I came to understand, okay, you want to feel safe. I totally get that. What would that look like? What would that feel like for you? And then my wife said, growth for you. What does that look like? And you know, for me, I had my list. I want us to invest this much and da, 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 da. 
interestingly, over time, my wife, who runs her own business, uh, she she really worked on her money psychology. Mm. She put time in. She took programs. By the way, I was like, what money psychology program are you taking? Because I didn't think she was taking mine. So I was like, kind of like, what kind of (laughs) of bullshit is this? But whatever she took, it worked because Mm. she has become very abundant with Mm. money. And when she looks back, she would say, wow, I really changed. And I totally agree. She transformed. But that is really hard. That's like the equivalent of someone saying, I want to change my ability to play piano or change my body or um, learn a new language. Mm -hmm. You have to really put time into that. And I think she did a great job. Mm. Yeah, those qualities are like the essences of the masculine and the feminine. You know, the feminine wants to be, feel secure and feel safe and the masculine always wants freedom. So even in relationships, those like principles are ones that you often have to work with because that's why, you know, when for a man, it's a little bit harder to, they feel a little bit more tied down in relationship because men want freedom. The masculine wants freedom. And then women always want to feel safe and secure. It's like, so I'm not surprised that those, because money is an energy expression of those qualities. Yeah. I I find that I spoke to my friend, um, Gretchen Rubin, and we were talking about patterns and groups and how, you know, she talks about upholders and things like that. And she got me thinking about different frameworks. Cause I think we all grow up uh, as amateur social psychologists. Mm-hmm. We look around, we notice gender differences for sure. But I think as I got older, I started to notice other types of groups of people and different patterns within those. So there are people who feel scarce around money. Mm-hmm. And when I started with the patterns, not with the gender, I realized, oh my gosh, there's a lot of men who feel scarce with money. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of women who feel scarce with money. Um, I found that some people are, they are impulsive with money. Lots of men, lots of women. Mm-hmm. And so I started to primarily go towards those patterns first. And I discovered, yes, of course there are gender differences. And I think uh, that's obvious from all kinds of research. But there are also patterns that are better predictors of how people behave with money Mm. rather than only gender. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're working with these couples, obviously having a mediator like you is really, really helpful. But when they are, and if, you know, there are couples listening, um, how can that dialogue around money begin? And what are the questions that you initially want to ask and the part C to that question is, you know, I feel like we have our thing. Like I can know about my partner, a certain habit that he has around money and I have an opinion about it and a judgment about it. And how do we begin to talk about that without shaming them? It's a gift and a rare gift that a couple gets to talk about money with a third party. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't have a third mm-hmm. party. If we do, we don't trust them enough to open up. So it's a gift. Not everybody can have that gift, but certainly everybody can listen in to the podcast. And what that allows us to do mm-hmm. is to hold the space. Thank you very much, life coaches. <laughs> yes. To hold this, to create You're the space. Thank you. <laughs> to create the space where we can say, oh, hey, I just listened to this episode and there was this couple and they were fighting about X. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And to use it as an entry point into a discussion. 
And what I love about that type of question, hey, I was listening to this, what do you think? Is it's not saying, hey, I was listening to this uh, podcast where he always overspends, just like you, you <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> we don't want to do that. But rather it's curiosity-based. Hey, what do you think about yes. that? Wow. You know, as I was listening to the episode, I thought that he was just really impulsive. But then I realized he's been having to protect his parents since he was six years old. Mm. I never thought mm. about that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, you know, we have we ever talked about how we grew up with money? Mm -hmm. Like, and then you start with yourself. You know, I remember my parents sitting around the table and they said, blah, blah, blah. Mm. That really opens up that discussion. So I think that's helpful. I think to if you want to further it, either you either you can continue these discussions using a podcast, using a program. Uh, you know, my wife and I have gone to, for example, the Gottman seminar, but it also involves being around people who you want to emulate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the old Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of five people. When I talk to people who, for example, who are typically restrictive with money, they always feel guilty. They never want to spend. They're always looking for the best deal. I go, do you have anyone in your life who is joyful when they spend money? And they go, no. Mm. I go, well, it's no surprise that you feel totally restrictive. So there are lots of ways you can find people like that. You can find them virtually. You can find them on Instagram comment pages, wherever you find them. But I think most people, they want to feel less anxious. They want to feel more purposeful with their money. They want to live a rich life, whatever that is to them. But most people have never seen what that actually looks like, mm. and what that feels like. Never heard mm -hmm. someone talk about it like, yeah, I hired a personal trainer and it's amazing for me to spend the money. I, I'm thankful that I get to spend mm -hmm. that money every single week. Mm -hmm. They never heard that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I want people to get access to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Well, we're so glad to have you on the West Coast too. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's great to be <laughs> back. How are you feeling about the taxes? Or are they the same? I love paying taxes. Tell me more. Tell me. I love it. I mean, in what other country... Could I come from a middle-class family, mm. build a business, be as successful as I am, pay dozens of employees happily, pay them above average wages, and have the money and security to know that nobody's going to, no gang of roving marauders is going to kick down my mm. door and demand 30% for electricity. No, I have a beautiful business, a beautiful mm. life. Mm. I can drive on clean roads and go to parks. I'm thrilled to pay my taxes. Mm -hmm. um, it's a nice reframe. Yeah. I have, uh, I have very little tolerance for people who complain about taxes. I find it to be intellectually lazy mm. and frankly, quite boring. If your entire identity is about mm. how little you can pay in taxes. Okay. So you saved 50 grand on taxes mm. or five grand. Now what? Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the entire rich life is how little you can pay. That's not mm. very interesting to me. I would rather someone say, Hey, I'm going to take my deductions. I'm going to take my typical minimizations with a 401k and an IRA and the rest I'm going to happily pay because I value um, a society where people have social services and I know that I can make more. Mm -hmm. To me, that is abundant. Mm -hmm. That's so true. I On that, that, just how would you recommend, uh, I think you briefly mentioned kind of like the intelligence around deductions and just yeah. kind of being smart around personal taxes, business taxes? Are there just some high-level tips that you would give people? Yes. <clears throat> First of all, I find it hilarious that um, 
when you hear people complaining about money and, and the economy and inflation and stuff, I always just go, show me your investment portfolio. And they go, uh, well, it's not, it's like going over to someone's house to go, oh, sorry, it's so messy. Uh, sorry, my investment portfolio isn't set up correctly. For all the people who complain about what's going on in the economy, et cetera, the single best thing you can do is to set up automatic savings, mm-hmm. automatic investments with the proper asset allocation. If you don't know any of the words I just said, read my book. And that is going to be way more powerful than you listening to some crackpots on Reddit and Bitcoin subreddits talking about inflation and all these things that are coming that they have no fucking clue about. Mm -hmm. So stop trying to predict macro econ and instead take control of your own money. You can do it. What can you do with taxes? So I believe in something I call the 85% solution, which is get 85% of the way there and then move on with your life. Nobody really needs to eke out that last 15 or 1% because it's prohibitively difficult. So with taxes, there's some simple things you can do. You can max out your 401k match. If you're eligible for a Roth IRA, you can put money in there. There's lots of benefits for taxes. I'll give you an example in a second. You can use an HSA. A lot of people have an HSA. They don't know it. They can invest in it, get a triple tax benefit there. In short, you have lots of eligibility to get tax-advantaged growth. And what that means is you either don't pay taxes at all on some of this money, or you defer the taxes until later. It's totally legal. Everybody has access to it. And I want you to take advantage of it. It's how you grow your money faster. So as a simple example, a Roth IRA, it's a type of account. If you open it up and invest in some company, let's say that you make $100 this year. I'm just going to use easy math. And let's say you pay- Keep it easy for us. Yeah. <laughs> you know us. Let's say you make $100 and you spend $1. How much do you have left? <laughs> Literally. You're going to have to go real slow. We got a chalkboard today. Yeah, okay. So if you, if you pay 30% in taxes, mm-hmm. okay, you have $70 left and you put some of that money in a Roth IRA. That money grows for 20, 30 years. It grows to a lot of money. When you take it out, you don't pay taxes on any of the gains. Mm-hmm. So that's like free money that grows. I just, um, when I hear people talking about lattes and, oh my God, I shouldn't order this chicken on the salad. It's $6 more. I go, you're asking $3 questions. You should be asking $30,000 mm-hmm. questions. Have you maxed out your IRA, your 401k? That's like money, tons and tons of hundreds of thousands, if not a million plus dollars. How many lattes can that buy? So those are the kind of things mm-hmm. that I want people to do. Mm. I love that. We're going to do the HSA thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you have an HSA? No, we mm-hmm. don't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If you were eligible for it with your healthcare provider, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people think an HSA, they think it's the same as an FSA. It's okay. a bit technical, but HSA, it's just a debit card. If I want to go pay for toothpaste or uh, dental work, I can swipe it, but you can also take that money and invest it. And typically wow. for young people mm. who do not, have a lot of healthcare expenses, they just put that money and invest it and you are getting tax-free growth. So, you know, I showed somebody, they, they followed my advice um, many years ago and they showed me how much money they have in their HSA and we calculated. I think their HSA is going to be worth something like $800,000 by the time they retire, which is wow. incredible. That's crazy. Whoa. So there's, there's a lot of, you're basically a lot of people are sitting on gold and they haven't read a single book to learn how to use it. That's what I want from them. Okay. Yeah, the book really changed my life. It's been, and it was so easy to read. It just, 
Yeah, change my whole mentality. I think the biggest thing that it changed my mentality on that I bring with me wherever I go is that I was in a space, I think when I read it where I was in a lot of debt, I was trying to figure out my job stuff. And it was like, I realized that I can't keep reducing Mm-hmm. that I have a set point of what I spend. And whether that's high or low, it doesn't matter. It was like, I need to figure out how to make more money. Yeah, And that's why I left the corporate world. Cause I was like, at a point, there's kind of a cap where I was. And I was like, there's no exponential opportunity for me here. And I need to find that so I can continue to spend at this level or maybe even more and mm. feel free. Oh, I love it. Yeah, there's a limit to how much you can cut. Yes. No limit to how much you yes. can earn. And whether you have a full-time job and you want to keep it, that's fine. There are ways there you can negotiate your salary. You can build an asset by investing. You can do a side job or you can switch entirely like you did and create an empire, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. And I think your book is a great book club read for couples. So it's like also a way to kind of walk through it. I was talking to Sean this morning and I was like, I I haven't left on and we're going to do this. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I love that. You know, yeah, I I like that because, um, you know, with money, it's kind of technical. Most of us have not really read it, but we feel certain things. And so to be able to go through chapter by chapter, each chapter is modular mm-hmm. and you go, Hey, you know, I didn't realize that Wells Fargo is a piece of shit company. <laughs> oh my God. I've been using them since my mom got me the account. Oh, what do you think? Should we switch? And it's like this oh, thing that you can do together. That. It's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Highly like, recommend. Fuck them. <laughs> Unfollow. <laughs> and your podcast, the new podcast, I Will Teach You To Be Rich is out August 4th. Yes. Congrats. Thank Congrats. You. Thank you. I'm going to be coming to you for some advice and I appreciate Anytime. you being my role model. Oh, oh you're the you. best. I'm going to try and get, get the mans on the show. You guys <laughs> might potentially oh, hear us. that would be amazing. That would be a vibe. He can very much read between the lines. So he would be like, what's going on? <laughs> Like, Wait, like, you can't ambush him. Oh, we're going to yes. just have this chat well, with Even my if friend. I was like, hey, we should read this book. He'd be like, but what? Like, he'd be like, what's the, what's the underlying <laughs> reason? Like, sometimes I'll come in and I'll just be like, good morning. How are you? He's like, what's going on? Wow. It's <laughs> oh, good. What do you need from me? All right. You guys, the podcast is out. You can listen now. We also have other episodes with Ramit that we've done. And then I Will Teach You Be Rich is a very powerful book. You must get it. Must. We will see you on the next one. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for me. The podcast is out. It is, I will teach you to be rich and you can listen to it now. And then we also had another amazing interview with Ramit. You can search Ramit Almost 30 wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have our previous interview, which was a blast. Such a blast. And we just want to thank our sponsors for this episode. We appreciate you. And yes, we are bringing you brands and products and experiences that we use and love ourselves. So thank you to Wild Alaskan Company, Monday.com, Sakara. And House of Wise. We love you all. Thank you so much for listening. You mean the world to us. And we will see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.